You're about to hear from a brave man. He's been on his job on the job for 15 days, and he's going to come in here and talk to us about one of the most critical jobs in Columbus, Georgia. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Welcome back to another edition of the Chuck Williams Show. We'll get right at it. It'll be an interesting 45 minutes. Uh, Our guest is Dr. John Fuchko. He is the interim president of Columbus State University. He started his job uh, 1st of July. Um, uh, He is running arguably one of the most important institutions in our fair city. Dr. Fuchko, welcome. Thank you, Chuck. It's good to be here. Uh, It's good to have you. It really is because when... CSU has had what six presidents in its is that right Mike Mike five presidents in its history of a, more than a half century and um, Chris Markwood retired he's no longer president and Dr. Fusco is coming in on an interim role to oversee the the university and he has a direct link to the university system of Georgia which is the parent which is the for lack of a better word, the state owner of Columbus State <laughs> University. But, you know, how did you sort of end up in this interim role, um, Dr. Fuchka? Well, the, uh, the easy answer is the chancellor asked me to. And, and um, you know, my, my background in the university system, uh, I've worked, uh, worked there really since 2006, uh, before that with, uh, with the, the state auditor's office. And have had the opportunity to, to work with some incredible leaders uh, uh, across um, across I think four chancellors uh, now, and uh, of course with with Chancellor Purdue, and you know they occasionally this happens where uh, the timing with uh, in this case with Dr. Markwood retiring, uh, you know sometimes it makes sense to bring in an in interim um, just to provide some time to, you know, do the search and, and go through that, that process. So it's, it's not unusual for uh, those of us who work at the system to sometimes be asked to serve in these roles. And, um, you know, I've been aware of and following and, and part of the story at Columbus and uh, really over, you know, over a decade plus, uh, albeit from that, from a distance. And so this was a, a great opportunity to, to be up close and uh, be a part of a great institution. Even though you're in an interim role, I understand you're going to be moving you and your family down here, right? Yes, sir. We, uh, we are leasing a house. And, um, you know, a couple, couple thoughts on that. Um, one of those is I've been away from my family over 24 years of marriage, been away from them about three years in total on military deployments. and We'll get um, into that in a minute. And I'm sure we will, but, you know, I, I, one of my just personal things is I'm – I'm only going to be away from my family when I absolutely have to, and there's no reason not to bring them down to be a part of this at Columbus. I also thought it was important, um, you know, when you're in the role, be in the role. And uh, I think having having my spouse, uh, having Cherie, you know, involved where she can be, supportive, um, part of the outreach is all, a, is all, I think, a part of uh, doing my best to uh, and doing our best, really, to, to serve the institution. You know, and we- that's a fascinating way to put it. You're in the role, be in the role. That's that's a commitment. That sounds like you, even though it's an interim situation, who knows where it goes from here, but it sounds like you want to come in and do the job that that's on the door in there for for now. Right. I think the I think the 
you know, every job is interim when you, when yeah. you, you really think about it. Uh, I'm three but, and a half years into an interim job right now. There you, there you <laughs> have it, right? Um, I, I don't, you know, it's one thing if something's for three weeks, right? But when you start talking about three months, six months, you know, however long uh, a role It lasts, could be a whole in academic year. It could, right? It, it all really depends on the, the length of the search. Um, so when, when I think about that and I think about, where Columbus State is uh, in its enrollment, in its budget, some of the stuff that I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about, uh, I don't think it can afford to have, you know, just kind of a caretaker who's going to sit there and, and say, okay, well, let's just, you know, make sure this You can't have work. a satellite president either. No, no, sir. So I, I, it's my job to be fully engaged and uh, really, I think, set the institution up for that permanent president when they come on board that they're not playing catch-up. Uh, that they've got an opportunity, They're, we're handing them something that's uh, that's in good shape uh, that they can build on for for the institution and for the community and for our students uh, first and foremost. We, I mean, I think CSU is such a vital part of the community. We'll get that in a minute. I'd really like to get some of your thoughts on that. But you said that you had moved your family down here. When I say I'm going to move my family, that I know that's a a big job. You've got how many children? So we have twelve. Twelve children. Um, uh, that's a dozen. That's I mean. a that's a dozen. <laughs> yes, one two. Uh, we, uh, my wife might say we have thirteen. I don't know. Um, I'm sure she does. Probably, probably every <laughs> once in a while. Uh, the oldest is is out of the house. Uh, the the next one is is in college, and then the next two are actually both in the guard. So uh, number four, Michael, he's actually at basic training right now, and is. He's going off to uh, AIT and to learn uh, language at the Defense Language Institute in California. And then uh, our daughter Hannah is starting um, at a, another one of our USG institutions and has a, a National Guard scholarship, which she earned after going through basic and AIT. So they're, the older four are more or less adulting. If that's, I don't think that's actually in the Oxford English Dictionary, but we'll go uh, with it. It's, I've, heard it, uh, I've so, heard it the last 10 years from my daughter. Yeah. So we only have eight of them with us. What's how's the youngest? Youngest is two and a half, give or take. So from out of the house to diapers. Out of that, yes, yes. Unfortunately, still in diapers. I think we're still trying to figure out how much potty training we want to do when we're. <laughs> I've come to the conclusion you're either my hero or you're crazy, and I'm not sure which one. They're is. not mutually exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, you know. I've met people that could field a basketball team. You've got a baseball team and a pitching staff. And and management to boot. <laughs> <laughs> Is what will they will the ones that are still in school all kidding aside, will they go to school down here in Columbus? So we've always uh, used a hybrid homeschool yeah. and uh, we'll continue to do a homeschooling uh, approach for them. You know, part of that, you know, as you said, it can last a year. It also can last six months, right? And so, yeah. uh, you know, we have some great schools in, in Columbus, you know, some of the top K-12 through schools in the state right here. Uh, but I'm, I don't want to put them in halfway through and pull them out. And it's also what, what we've, you know, as a family have been used to and committed to. Um, that. That's where Cherie spends a lot of her time and, and effort. Uh, and I, I, I think I occasionally help, but she's, uh, she, she's really carries the lion's share of that. And you're also a colonel in the Georgia Army National Guard, right? Yes, sir. Um, 
And how many of your children have followed you into the garden? So, so two of the 12 uh, children and then two of my eight siblings have also followed us in the guard. And actually, two of my wife's siblings at one point or another were in the Georgia Guard. So I think that's some sort of record. I'm not, I haven't that's, asked that story. Un- that's unbelievable. But one of the benefits of the Guard, particularly for your people your children's age, is their educational benefits. That's exactly right. And that is something you will see people, young people take advantage of, particularly if they're trying to avoid racking up student loan debt or maybe their family can't afford I mean, with 12, I'm not sure how you send 12 to college. Um, but you understand college and its costs probably better than most. We have, uh, we, we've lived it, and, you know, part of our commitment <coughs> to our children has been, you know, we're going to prepare you to be successful in college. Uh, um, and, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that we live in the state of Georgia, and when you think about, uh, Hope Scholarship, the Zell Miller Scholarship. Uh, you think about you know, some of the benefits they get, not even joining the Guard, just being a dependent of somebody in the, in the military uh, and what we do on that front, the Hero Scholarship that's offered through uh, Georgia Student Finance Commission. There's so many things out there that if you really are deliberate about it, you can get through college with minimal to no, to no debt. Um, you gotta keep, you got to keep the scholarship. Uh, you got to hold on to those things. Uh, but uh, we've and, we you know, made hope, that commitment. My experience through my children is hope, once you lose it, it's very, very difficult to get back. I mean, you can, but it's not an easy lift. It's, you know, it's, it's a function of the numbers, right? But, it's yeah, if you've got a, a nice GPA going in there that you've built up, uh, particularly that freshman year, that sophomore year, then, you know, you can that can carry you through some hard times. Uh, which is really, really, it does become important to make sure that our students are registering and, and our own kids. Make sure you're registering for the right classes, you're doing these things in the right sequence, uh, and you're thoughtful about it and, and that you engage with students. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, particularly if it's a first-generation student, you know, we really owe it to all students, but particularly those students who maybe don't have somebody at home who's telling them this is what you need to do to help them think through that so that they, they put that they put that together in a way that, that makes sense. And I'll, I'll give you one example of that. Uh, the, the research uh, at our institution, as I understand it, for example, is that the students who take 15 hours a semester do better than the students who take 12 hours a semester. Why is that, you think? My own, my own thought on it, just what I think, is that they're in. You're fully engaged, right? If, you're, if you've got 15 hours, you know you've really got to... Where if you're 12, you may have one foot here and one uh, foot there. Exactly, right? And so... Uh, I'm not sure what that means for some of the student interns that you've got working with you, Chuck, but um, hopefully they're listening and, uh, and, and we'll enroll for that 15 hours. But it's stuff like that that, you know, you, you have to knocking out your English and your math the first year, uh, right, becomes really critically important. But it also becomes important to get them involved in, in the courses that um, get them excited. You know, English and math might excite some, maybe not some others, but getting some of their major classes, lower division major classes becomes really important too. You know, it's interesting when you look, and our family has taken full advantage of the University System of Georgia with our with our children. Um, we've got a Kennesaw State grad with an MBA from CSU. We have a uh, Georgia State grad who has an MBA in Michigan, or uh, not MBA, excuse me, a, a master's in education, and she's teaching in Detroit. And then we've got one who's a CSU grad who's teaching here, 
who went and got her master's at Troy. But we've got a lot of CSU, a lot of University System of Georgia in 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 our in our family. I mean, you've been in the system. If you were trying to sell the system to somebody who didn't know it, mm-hmm. like me, how would you sell the the system? And then I'm going to bring that to Columbus. But, sure. But start it with the system because it does start with this broad system that has UGA and Tech as the flagships. And That's I right. would put Georgia State as one of the flagships now yeah. too. Uh, there's so much there that we could talk about, but I want to focus in on just a few things. One of those is <clears throat> there's a commitment to student success uh, in this system. It's been a focus of, of every chancellor I've ever worked with. Uh, it's something I've heard Chancellor Purdue talk talk about as one of his core critical uh, focus areas. But it's not just talked about. You look at what Georgia State has done uh, with their you know their enrollment and how they work with students to help them be successful to the point where they've improved all of their graduation rates, but also eliminated a lot of the disparities that you would normally see in graduation rates. You don't see that, for the most part, at, at Georgia State, right? And uh, they've trans, they've transitioned from a night school to a real university. Yes. Uh, my dad was one of the did his, started his MBA back at Georgia State in the 80s and ended up finishing it up at Kennesaw. Uh, and, yes, it's, it's the, the, the tenor and the tone and where they are position has shifted. So you've got this commitment to student success from a affordability perspective uh, in the SREB, which is the, I think, 16 states that kind of make up the southeastern region. I think we're the second or third lowest uh, to average tuition out of all of those states. But yet we have two top, I think, two top 20 uh, public institutions in, in Georgia and Georgia Tech by uh, some of the, the rankings that are out there. Uh, and you've got a level of state commitment. That is, um, just this past year at, at Columbus State University led to a $265 reduction uh, in, the, in the elimination of special institutional fee per semester, right? So that average full-time student, almost a 10% reduction, you know, if you think about it as tuition and fees, almost a 10% reduction off what they were paying the previous year from the roughly $230 million that the uh, quarter, quarter of a billion almost that the General Assembly and the governor appropriated and allowed the board to say, we're going to go cut this. You don't, you look around the country, you don't generally see, first of all, that level of support coming in. And then that level of support to translate into, we're actually going to reduce what people are being charged uh, while providing great service, uh, while providing affordability, while providing that focus on student success to improve their graduation. Because when it's all said and done, if you don't graduate, we're not helping you a whole lot. So getting you through and getting you through in that four years, ideally, uh, most at least I think parents would prefer the four years. Yeah. I think sometimes it's a great time on campus. Maybe five or six sounds more attractive. Maybe go get uh, another get another degree. get another degree. You know, while you're at it, right? I've thought about we could send a postcard to encourage our students to enroll for more. We could send a postcard that says. Hey, you know, you can party for another year and get the parents to see the postcard and say, what's going on here? We need you to enroll for more hours. Um, so it, as a system, there's all those things put together. Just uh, it, it really is a, an incredible system. Uh, can get better always, but uh, it's, it's a very attractive system as a system of higher ed. Let's come from system level now to CSU level. I've been fortunate I've been here 33 and a half years, 33 years, and I've been able to watch uh, 
the system. I've been able to watch CSU grow. I mean, I can remember people here literally referring to it as Cody Road High, 13th grade. It is, I mean, based on my experience, I work with some of your students in a practicum program with the communications department, and I've had six kids. One was from Columbus. The other five were essentially Metro Atlanta kids. It's not Cody Road High. It's not the 13th grade grade in Columbus anymore. And that transition has happened. How do you build on that transition? and make sure you continue to bring students in from not just here, but from throughout the state. So, and and I would even say throughout the region, first off. Um, right. But, uh, you know, which some of the um, policy changes, or not policy changes, but what the, the Board of Regents allowed us to do with, with border state waivers to. So if um, I'm in state, Russell in County, I can get in state tuition. Exactly. Lee County, right. I can get in right. state exactly. tuition. Exactly. Right, so there's some some competitiveness there that um, on on price that we can use to compete with institutions in the area that uh, particularly you know across the across the state line. I mean, you're competing against Troy, you absolutely, know, and Tro- Troy's my alma mater. Full disclosure, yes. proud well, proud Trojan. You know, uh, we, uh, we we higher ed's important. We love higher ed, <laughs> but we really want you to <laughs> we want you to come here, right? Well, kid, uh, the kids went your direction. The, um, but to, to answer to answer your your question as far as you know kind of bringing what what I think brings people here you know ultimately uh, there there's lots of reasons I think people choose to go to college and sometimes maybe it depends on how much their parents influence them or uh, their own decisions you know some of the external stuff we've we've got in spades I mean you can't walk around downtown Columbus and not fall in love with it. Uh, it, it's and, and, and that wasn't always the case. And I know university has been a big a big part of a big part of that. But you look at it's everything been going the biggest on. Part it's of that. just it's it's just incredible, right? I mean, where else do you have you know Whitewater over here, and then um, you know the, the 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 great kind of all the eating and the shopping and everything else that you might possibly want to and do. And then you got a, a nursing student. school and, and a music yeah, school. It's you've got you've got just an incredible array. Um, within the city and within the region, but it really all comes down to: are, Do we have academic programs that are going to produce quality graduates who are going to be effective in doing what they're doing? So, it's there's the internals, which the the faculty, uh, the provost, the president's office, all are a part of making sure that those internal rigor uh, and quality is there. But then there's that kind of larger question of do we have the academic programs that are going to attract students who are going to be able to contribute to not just the jobs that are out there right now, but the jobs that are out, going to be out there 10 years from now and 15 years from now. Are going to be creating those jobs uh, in the future? So that's a big piece. And, of course, to prepare uh, young people to go on to, to graduate school for further studies, uh, whether that's because they want to you know, become a researcher in that area, uh, to pursue that type of, of work or to pursue uh, some of the more traditional career fields that might be there. You know, it's interesting because CSU has a very interesting mix. I know you've got the computer sciences, you've got the MBAs, you've got the, the business school, but, you know, you've got the cyber program within that business school that uh, came onto my radar. We had a hospital over in Alabama 
that got hacked uh, a month or so ago, and I went into y'all cyber school to get an expert to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And the level of what I saw in there was impressive. Got a cyber range uh, as a part of it. You you may um, you probably know this. Probably know it better than I do. But uh, several years ago, the university system uh, was created really the first new degrees in 100 years or something along those lines, which was this nexus degree, uh, which I would describe as a, a very focused degree on that's really, I think, works best as kind of an addition to or part of uh, maybe a more traditional program. It's a hybrid. It's, it's really a hybrid yeah. with a real heavy focus on, on that practical sort of experience being a part of it, right? And so, you know, one of those three and, and is, of course, in the fintech with that cyber focus, right? And we were actually, Columbus State was the first institution in the system to graduate anybody in the Nexus degree program. Uh, so first new degree in 100 years, Columbus State's the first one to, to graduate. And that was the that cyber degree. piece of it? That was with the cyber, and, of course, we have a film and, and public safety. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. If you look at the Columbus economy and – In a lot of ways, it's a three-legged stool. You've got the large public companies, the Aflacs, the Tesis slash Global Payments. You've got the you know, the people that have those jobs. And you've got Fort Benning with its, you know, what is it, $3 billion a year dump into our economy. And then I would put Columbus State, education, but Columbus State is a third as the third stool of that, and I think Troy has a piece of that. You know, Mercer's coming in with a piece on the medical side for sure, but Columbus Tech is the is the, but it's not just the economy, the economic deal. I mean, we wouldn't have teachers in the Muskogee County School District if we didn't have Columbus State University. There's no telling the percentage of I want the to te- say it's half of the teachers is I think the number I've heard easy uh, and come then, from Columbus State. And then you go to Harris County, it's another it's a big number up yep. there. You know, Chatco. I mean, you know, you start looking at the teachers that the education program is pushing out. You go look at the hospitals or the doctors offices and the nurses y'all are pushing out. I know Columbus Tech's pushing them out too with the associates program, but you know what have you learned, one, watching from afar the rigid system, but now that you're on the ground here, what have you learned about the Columbus State University impact on this city and its economy? You know, um, I, I like the, the, the three-legged stool sort of analogy, but what, what I've also noticed is that there's a lot of intersect. I'm not an engineer, so part of my lack of uh, technical knowledge. <laughs> you're a bean counter, right? Uh, <laughs> Different degrees and different things, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of these lines that are kind of mutually reinforcing pillars moving between them. What I have really think that has struck me is the level of partnership that exists, whether it's Benning, the city, uh, those, those major companies that, uh, that you've mentioned, the historic uh, sort of philanthropic community, uh, which, of course, is all interrelated with that. And I'm really glad, actually, you mentioned Columbus Tech uh, because that's uh, one of one of my first meetings was with Martha Ann Todd, who's the, the president at Columbus Tech. Uh, she and I have worked together before in, when we were both in different roles. 
And uh, I can tell you we're very committed to viewing um, through the lens of what's the best thing for the students, what is the best thing for the community, and where can the two of us partner together to be that mutually reinforcing connection with those other you know, legs of the stool. Because uh, that, that is a huge part, right? And we actually have uh, a program that uh, we're going to be strengthening around the ASN degree that they offer in, in nursing at Columbus Tech to bring those students over when they're done to get a, a bachelor's of science in nursing, and get the BSN. So they can get their job, start their job, but yep. still come out with a four-year degree. Exactly. You know, one of the interesting parts about the, the town, I mean, I used to hate this term, and I use it now a lot because I think it describes what it is. But the town and gown town relation, and gown, yeah. relationship that you see between CSU and the city of Columbus is largely philanthropic and has been from the inception in That's the right. hosiery mill. If you look at it, the university system of Georgia would have never built a downtown campus when you got a perfectly good campus on the university avenue. Um, is it Avenue or Boulevard? University Avenue. Okay. Um, so philanthropic money built that campus and kind of forced that the hand. I don't think Dr. Brown was in favor of it, but I think he got there mm-hmm. and he saw the benefits um, of it because it happened during his tenure. But by my count, there have been at least three $100 million capital campaigns associated to CSU. Um, There's been literally hundreds of millions of dollars raised in this community for the most part Mm -hmm. for this community. And to me, I mean, and I know to me, knowing some what I do about other universities in the system, I think that separates Columbus from some of the other second-tier universities in the just sheer amount of local investment. Yeah, the number I've heard is that it's <coughs> we're we're right around you know depending on how you yeah. count it, but we're somewhere around uh, the top f- number four in, <coughs> in kind of the overall private philanthropic giving within uh, the public institutions in in Georgia. Uh, so an incredible level of community support and and for the size institution that we are in a normal in a normal scale of things that doesn't make sense when you're sitting in atlanta but you know but when you look at it you know and i'll say this when we're talking about philanthropic money just so people understand what we're talking about they raise the money to buy the building or build the building then they get the building ready, and sometimes there's state money in it, sometimes there's not. But then they give the building to the state of Georgia and the university system. I mean, you know, so the locals have essentially lost control of that in some ways when when they give it up. So the philanthropic community has placed major trust in the university system to use their investment wisely, right? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And you, but you also look at it. Um, you know, almost all of our institutions, really across the university system, if you look at the history of them, it is the local uh, community that says we know that the future of our city, the future of our region, depends on higher education. 
and and you see that time and time again in the um, the, the the leaders in Columbus. I think understand and recognize the future of our city, the future of the valley uh, depends on having that robust higher education ecosystem uh, that, that can support not just the workforce, but the, the quality of life, the culture. I mean, you think about Schwab School of Music and, uh, and the arts, uh, theater, what, what we're doing there, uh, you know, in the downtown, not just to, in, the, in the way of buildings, but in the way of that, that cultural uh, resource that we provide. Uh, it's, the, the, it's, it's a beautiful the stu- thing. The student recitals that are usually free, usually in Legacy Hall, is probably the best entertainment value in the state of Georgia. You can go in there and hear these incredible musicians playing in concert bands, jazz bands, all sorts of stuff. The only problem I've ever had with it was we were renting for about seven months, and I had one of your tuba players right next door, and that that, that was the only time I've ever had a problem with the Columbus State music program. But now I'll say that all kidding aside. We, That's we asked, why they sell noise canceling headphones. Uh, not when <laughs> not when that tube is eight feet from your. You bed. might feel the vibrations, oh, probably. Can, yeah, but we actually went to the concert. Um, we, when we but the worst part of the tuba thing, and my wife will tell you this, is that we weren't hearing the whole song. We were just in the tuba's part, so it would just it could get a little redundant. I'm sure. It's, it, yes. oh, it's the only way to master it. A little, you know, going back to what you were just talking about, though, is, and this is not hyperbole, Columbus State University over the last six decades has built the middle class of this city. I mean, you will have Jimmy Yancey tell you that. You'll have Jim Blanchard tell you that. You'll have any number. Frank Brown will yes. tell you that. Um, with that comes an enormous responsibility. Yes. What do you feel the responsibility of CSU is to the community? Well, it's, it's really multi multi fold. I think first off, um, and, and I, I maybe because I've got a lot of kids, I think about it this way. But uh, when when a parent who oftentimes pays for school, right, at, yep. at some level, um, or whoever it might be, sends uh, sends a student our way, right. I view that as a trust that's placed in us. So there's some expectations. Um, obviously, there's the basics, right? If you're living with us, you're eating with us, we've got to take care of those things. Uh, but then we've got to provide that education that you came here to get. Uh, you've, we've got to provide in a way that allows that student to complete it and complete it successfully, to find ways for them to participate um, in whatever practicum sort of experience that that program would drive to, that we help create those opportunities. Uh, and then I, I think, too, there's that extracurricular sort of outside of that experience where, frankly, a lot of us learn as much uh, about what we want to do and who we are and how we lead and how we follow uh, and how we get along with other folks. Uh, we learn that, I think, in, in those settings. So I think it's providing all of that, uh, that trust from people who send us their loved ones uh, and from those people who come to us and they, they expect a, a good return. I, I think there's also, though, uh, an expectation, and I think it's a right expectation, uh, that we're thoughtful about the economic development of the region, right? And that's not just 
even though it's incredibly important supporting what we have now, but it's also thinking about what is that next thing. But CSU's always played a role in the economic development, yes. whether it's teachers or it's providing um, computer folks for thesis back in the ICAP day. and what ICAP, was done there. ICAP, yep. Thank you. Yes. I, ICAP was a, was a transformational program that other institutions in the state kind of lifted. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I had um, the lady, uh, Dr. Annie Hunt Burris, who was one of the, the engineers, if you will, of, of that program, actually uh, came down to visit the campus uh, a couple weeks ago, and we took on her tour, and she was able to share that story with uh, some of the folks here who hadn't heard it uh, before. So uh, Transformation. Yeah, absolutely, it was. And, and that's, those are those key responsibilities, right? It's, yeah. it's nothing, it's not earth-shattering, it's not rocket science, even though we do have robotics engineering uh, it's it's really it's those fundamentals and doing those fundamentals and doing them well. But then you have the satellite stuff like Oxbow Meadows, like Passaquan. Have you been to Passaquan yet? Uh, Passaquan is on the list, but I'll be perfectly honest. I'm waiting till the the temperatures get a little bit lower so I can fully experience it. I'm not sure you want to fully experience Passaquan. <laughs> You said think that. You, I did I, not say I that. I think you need to rethink <laughs> that. But you got the Carson McCullers Institute. You've yep. got the Space Science Center. You yep. got, you've got so many things. We've got the house in Oxford, actually. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, CSU has tentacles that reach out. you got the Command College. Yes. That reach out and touch the community. In other words, the Command College, in case, if you don't know, usually – You'll see police cars from Clayton County or from Augusta or North Atlanta or wherever in Columbus. And you go, why are those guys here? Those guys are usually at Command College, which is a part of CSU. Yes, it is. It's one it's of it's really the, the state of Georgia's um, master level um, for senior law enforcement, both state and local, uh, for them to come get a you know an accredited degree. Uh, master's degree and at the same time kind of fulfill those um, requirements within. It's very actually similar to what the military does with command and staff college and war college. It, uh, it, same it process. even fills some continuing ed requirements yes, absolutely. that some, yep. some of those guys have. I want to get in the military piece of it real quick. Obviously, you're a colonel. You're Army National Guard. Um, you are now just off the gates of Fort Benning. Um, what does your experience allow you – if you look, CSU has a lot of Fort Benning folks that are just getting out or, or, or dependents that are going to school there or even some people that are active duty that are getting degrees at CSU. How does your experience help you deepen the relationship between Columbus – between Columbus State University and Fort Benning? The um – it's a great, great question. I mean, they got to salute you when you go on go on post. I, now. I did not have to get a separate ID card, so that was uh, that was helpful. Um, and, and yeah, you, you do get some salutes as a as a full bird, at least if you're walking around in uniform, you do. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're the first president they've actually had to salute when you went on <laughs> when you went on post. Yeah. The, sorry, uh, sorry. I look at the weird stuff sometimes. Yeah, it's it's. Um, it, it you you know as a full bird they're like oh that must be great I'm like you have to return all the salutes too so you're actually doing as much saluting as anybody else uh, when when you do and of course it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do so um, so you know I, I 
I think there's some stuff that we, we were doing, we are doing, we'll continue to do, uh, being thoughtful about, you know, particularly as people are retiring and they're kind of offboarding from the military. Uh, can we be a part of uh, retooling, uh, part of preparing that person to enter into the workforce? Because this is, you know, obviously a trained leader, a trained manager um, with a, a set of skills, set of experiences that, you know, I think most businesses, you know, can benefit from. And maybe there's some technical skills, uh, if you will, or some translation of that into uh, some civilian-related skill sets that we can be a part of, and we are. I'll, I'll tell you very specifically, though, where I hope to have an impact um, in partnership with uh, with our faculty and with our deans and with the with the the, the fort. Um, the experience of a of a soldier in the army, particularly a maneuver, right. You know, tank, tank burn infantrymen. infantry uh, is incredibly demanding, right? So, you know, what's the average day? Well, the average day, you're going to get up there early for PT, and you're going to go out and do your thing. You get back, probably a long day. Maybe you got some stuff in the, may have to go to the motor range. pool. You may have to go to the range. Or guess what? You may be out in the field for three or four weeks. Do you think you're working on classes then? No. We can go there. We can we can be on campus or be on on base and offer stuff. But if you're gone for three or four weeks, that doesn't help a whole lot, right? Or we have I don't know something in the neighborhood. I think of two thousand captains that go through the captain's career course there every year. Yep. Some of them stay at Benning. Most of them don't. Most of them are going to leave. They're here for the four month, five month course. We have a program where you can articulate, uh, which is a fancy word for we accept the captain's career course graduate as having nine graduate credit hours in our Master's of Organizational Leadership, right? So that's Are you three kidding? classes, three classes, full semester. You've got it. Once you get that, I have never heard that. that We've got that. That's already in there. It's already in place. But we don't have hundreds of those students taking advantage of it. Well, why? Probably because they know that when they graduate and they leave, we don't necessarily have a program that's going to be this um, – one that will work with the demands of their particular job. And so one of the conversations I've had with Dean Kidder, who's the dean of the, the D. Abbott Turner College of Business, is let's start you know, talking with the faculty. How do we think about delivering those types of courses where we maintain the rigor, we maintain the involvement, um, but it is working for a student who leaves, who isn't physically going to be here, and may have two weeks where they can pour themselves into it, and they might have three or four weeks where they can't. So I think we really, uh, I understand those demands. I've lived that, uh, been deployed, and I, I think there's, there's just a perspective there uh, that, that can be brought as, as somebody who's been through it to say, how do we build those program, programs in a way that we'll get them coming to Columbus State where they're going to get a great education, they're going to get a great degree, and, and we've already done the homework to, to frankly, to, to translate what they've already done into real credit hours for us. That's, 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 that's good to know. It really is. Talk a little bit about enrollment. I know enrollment has slid yeah. coming out of COVID. Um, what does it look like now going into the fall semester? So uh, as of, you know, today, I think we were down in credit hours around 6%, uh, you know, those so below are, eight below eight thousand, right? It would it would take us a little bit below eight thousand students, okay. right? That's been the um, my, that's been the number I've always tracked over the last five, eight, seven years. Yeah, we've always we we kind of you know it's like a 
yeah. up and down waves kind of uh, above and below. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that, that feed into that. Some of those, you know, really I tend to think about is, is, is credit hours, right? Because you can have even a reduction in, in headcount, but if those students were taking the 15 hours, which we know they ought to be, um, that, that helps. It helps the student. It helps them get through their, their, uh, their education and get it complete. Uh, so that's, that's a big part of it. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of external factors that I know every, um, every public higher education institution is probably facing, right? The, um, you know, one of the things that we've, we've seen in some of our data uh, is that these students, they're not necessarily always going somewhere else. They're just not going to school. Uh, they can they can go get a job at fifteen to twenty dollars an hour. Say that again. And I, I want to make sure I understood what you just said. So some of the data where we've had students who've applied, right, yeah. and we've accepted them, and they haven't shown up, uh, and I can't put that exact number in front yeah. of you right now. It is it is day fifteen, um, but we know that a good number of those students it's not that they went somewhere else; it's they're deferring college. Okay. okay. Right. Okay. And so what we're hearing is. Yeah, I can go get a job at fifteen dollars an hour, twenty dollars. They're not an going hour. anywhere. I'm going to go work. I'm going to go make some money, uh, and you know, while why while we have that opportunity, and so part of this is convincing uh, students that you know, in the short term, sure, there there may be a uh, you, you may not have to worry about studying English 1101, and uh, you may not have to uh, worry about you know paying your tuition, but long term, investing in you, uh, creating you, as we talk about. Uh, on campus, you need to invest in yourself and invest in, in your education. But some are just some just seem to be deferring that. So you've got that. We do have you know kind of a demographic cliff uh, in this country where, um, despite our efforts in the Fuchko family, uh, you know there are fewer births 18 years ago that we're going to see. Um, You're an anomaly. We 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 apparently are. Uh, you're going to see that reduction in the reduction of births means really a reduction in high school graduates, right? Yep. And so uh, you look at that across across the country, and that means everybody now is competing for what's ultimately a smaller pool. So we have all of those dynamics in play. Uh, <clears throat> I do think COVID had an impact, and it had an impact on high school students uh, coming in. And where I think we really saw it for us uh, was, was in the retaining part. Uh, we were number two of nine among state universities in retaining a student from beginning their freshman year into their, their second year, into their sophomore year. And that's, and that's a critical number. If you get, them, if you get them through the second year, odds are they're going to keep playing. Exactly. And even getting through the first year is a, is a huge thing, right? So we were at like 80.5% of our students um, either were with us, and about 5% of that 80.5% might go to another institution, but they were staying in enrolled. Uh, that number dropped in one year to about 65%. And so that, that was a big hit for us, uh, and it is one of the areas that uh, we're focusing on, saying how we need to not just turn that number around for students now, but how do we identify students that are coming in the door to say, let's get you plugged into some of those things that we know are going to help you make a difference uh, in terms of your academic success that first year. So uh, we've been we've, we've put some of those into place for the fall. We, we have some more You're work to do. You're not talking remedial programs. No, it's it's there's the, we've really moved away from that honestly yeah, um, yeah, as as a system. Uh, it's really uh, I'll give you an example. One of the things that that we did, and it's a, it's a pilot. It's a small group, but it was a, a a mighty group of I think it was 14 is where we ended up. But we took some students that. Um, 
coming in the door that we looked at and said, you know what, you would benefit from some of that kind of extra focus, attention, almost a little bit of a cohort model. And they were, they were four weeks, English 1101, uh, in one faculty member. Uh, around that, we put some kind of intensive, you know, study, practice. Here's, you know, here's, here's how to go from being in high school where you may have had a certain experience and so level write, of expectations to writing, not just writing papers, but how do you study? How do you avoid getting behind? You know, go to class is what I tell uh, so many students, uh, and I can oh. see your, your director over there kind of smiling. Um, you know, going to class is, is like, what a concept, right? But it, it really, you go to class. At 7.55 on a cold morning, you still got to be class there. is more than a concept. It's, you got to be there. That makes such a difference. So just training them up for all that. And then back to your comments earlier about the, the philanthropic support, all those students who came in, those 14 students had their tuition paid for uh, by the foundation. Uh, and so donors uh, covered their tuition uh part of getting those, those students so that they could get that support and just focus on, on their studies. What's so, the status of those 14 students? From what I've been told, they're all prepared to move on into the fall, and we're going to be setting them up to um, – the plan is setting them up with a, the same professor for English 1102. Uh, and so they kind of already have had that one, that relationship – between them, but also relationship with the instructor. That's, that's, that is interesting. One thing I want to get at, last question I'm probably going to ask, then I'll start to drive the car home. Yes, sir. Um, but 6% down enrollment, that means you're down in revenue. Mm -hmm. It's got to mean you're down in revenue. Yes. Um, CSU has a lot of faculty, a lot of staff. Uh, are you looking – because you don't have the revenue that you may have anticipated or the revenue you may have had in past years pre-COVID, yep. what are you doing as far as assessing the situation now when it comes to faculty, staff, and, and, just, and just expenses? Sure. So uh, our, our budget impact from the enrollment decline we just had and then what we think we'll have in this year we just started over the next three years is roughly $9 million. You can call it 1.2, 1.5 this year in reduced revenue. That grows to about six next year. That's a building. That's, that's a lot. And then nine the year after that. It's about 8% eight, of the budget roughly. Um, so that's a big number. It's a big number, and, uh, and it really just reflects our model for funding is based on uh, tuition dollars, which are immediate, uh, that come in when a student enrolls. And then two years later, um, our state funding is driven by our enrollment because uh, the state really funds the funds us based largely on So you're on now starting to get hit by the decrease So you're starting enrollment. to get hit, right. You, you kind of get, you know, your first impact that first year, and then two years later you get the second impact. So we know that. This isn't, uh, this isn't a state secret. This isn't something that uh, – that, that we can't plan for. And so we've really, uh, in partnership with the faculty and with the faculty senate, uh, with Troy, who's the executive officer of the senate, a uh, wonderful, wonderful faculty member in the executive committee in the senate there, as well as with our staff council, um, we have put together uh, a, a group that worked over the summer. Uh, we're going to expand that group in the fall, and we're actually going to have two groups. One group is going to work more on the faculty side and the other group more on the staff administrative side. And I've told them uh, internally that we really are looking to find roughly $7 million 
dollars uh, in looking at structure. Uh, we think that is very uh, difficult to do, but it is achievable, and it's going to be something that we have to be. Uh, we're going to be collegial about. We're going to. We do have and have had faculty and staff involved in it. But you got to be we'll proactive, make, though. We're going to make. I don't want to do this again in six months, and I don't want a permanent president coming in. And the first thing they're handed is you need to go figure out this X amount of million dollar reduction in you got the a seven next million fiscal dollar year. Hole. Yeah, go we're, it. we're not going to do that. Uh, the remaining two uh, of that nine, we're going to. There's there's some things I think we can do more on the the non uh, in some of the operational uh, side of things to to look at reducing some of those costs. But I, I'll tell you this: we're not going to cut our way to our mission. So you're going to cut, but you're not going to gut. Absolutely not. Our priorities are going to re- student success first and foremost. Uh, maintaining the the quality of our educational uh, delivery, and then of course you know the safety, the security uh, of of our students. So that that becomes core and critical. But the other piece is uh, we need to think too about what are the future things we need to be doing, and we have a, a foundation that's committed to the idea uh, in our conversations with them that uh, my and the, the leadership team have already had, that you come to us with some, some new programs, some new programs that uh, reflect the needs of the community and the future. Uh, you know, they're interested in, in helping to, to, to fund those, to seed those. And so, um, which is very much the role of the foundation. So we look forward to so also the, thinking about that as well. So the philanthropic spirit, that is part of Columbus State University's very core is not going anywhere right now. No. Uh, I, I've had the chance, and, and Shereen and I have done some of this as well. We've we've probably, oh, in the last seven or eight weeks, I, I think we're uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 15, maybe a little bit more in the way of uh, going out and visiting with donors, visiting with foundation trustees. Uh, very much see that as a part of uh, my role is, is, you know, it's not to start a capital campaign uh, as an interim president, but, uh, you know, s- maintaining, uh, strengthening, uh, fostering those those relationships, I, I think, is, is, is very critical. You know, it's, it's going to be really interesting as a longtime observer of CSU, and, and incre- I have incredible respect for what Columbus State University means to this community. I've seen it firsthand, and I've experienced it. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch how you do that. You seem to be, if not uniquely situated, at least situated with your some of your skill sets and some of where you are to come in and do that, to do, Thank you. To do that. I mean, I mean, you, you don't have an easy job. They, they didn't give you a cushy job now. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, it's, it's incredibly uh, fulfilling. Uh, and it's, it's frankly, it's, 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 it's an honor. It's an honor to be accepted in the community, be a part of it, uh, and, and, and certainly appreciate the confidence, too. Of the, Wish uh, you'd have showed up for the census. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think we didn't do so bad in the census, right? Yeah, number number two in the, in the, in the state. That's, uh, there's nothing to sneeze at there. 206,000. You could have driven it up a little more. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm having a little fun with you. Uh, uh, Dr. Fusco, is there anything you'd like to say before we get to the end of this? Is there anything that I haven't touched on that you'd like to to talk about? I'll, I'll just say thank 
Ch- Chuck, thanks thanks to you. I know that you've covered the uh, the institution in, in one capacity or another for a long time. Uh, I uh, I was a student journalist, so maybe that was a baby journalist. I'm not sure. As was uh, what what you what school? At uh, I was the editor in chief of the Sentinel, the KSU student newspaper. Okay. Uh, as was Cherie, uh, okay. my spouse, and uh, my sister was the uh, the opinion page editor there, and she has opinions. Opinion is always uh, a lot more yeah, funny she, than those pesky facts. Yeah, well, both Cherie and I were both the opinion page editors, so that might tell you something about we have an opinionated uh, group here. But um, but I did have to go on and you know edit the news the news desk as well yeah. with uh, as the editor in chief. So you know I really just I know you have a role. Uh, we respect that and I appreciate the uh, professional way you go about. Uh, bringing attention to to these issues. That I hope important. you can say that after thirty days. You said it after fifteen. I'll take it. But uh, yes, we're at a point now where I do this with all my guests. I've done it with with everybody from Stacey Abrams to the general man, Les Snead, the general manager of the Rams. I'm going to call it turn the tables. I've been sitting here grilling you for forty five minutes. You get to ask me a question. Oh, that's hey, it's free. It's okay. You get, a, you get a freebie. But I mean. I do have a question. Okay. All right. So if there was one academic program that we don't have that you think adding it would add value to our future students, to the institution, and and certainly to the businesses of this community, what would it be? My answer is going to be self-serving. I think (laughs) not everybody can afford or can get into the Grady School. Mm-hmm. The Grady School is the finest journalism school, one of the finest journalism schools in the country. But and I know there's a journalism school at Georgia Southern that does a good job. But I think there needs to be another journalism school in this state that can get the kids who maybe are taking the communications route and would go the journalistic route. Because I'm telling you right now, the need for journalists is not dying. We need journalists now more than we've ever needed journalists. And I think there, you know, I think what Dr. Gibson and her staff do is amazing. They do it with the resources in probably the least impressive of CSU's building collection, Carpenter Building. I I love it, but it's... it's an old building. I've been through the back hall already, so, <laughs> so you know I, I know the carpenter building. But, you know, what they do is amazing. But I think a journalism program, Valdosta State, I believe, has a journalism program. Um, I would like to see a full-blown journalism program that, you know, we get kids that are coming out of Auburn's journalism program that come over mm-hmm. here to work. And, you know, and but – that said, I know there's more j- job demand in the cyber pieces of right. it. What y'all are doing with the cyber stuff has got to have tentacles that can come off of that, that can attract people with some of the the binning, the some of the binning uh, national security mm-hmm. interests they have. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you know, but. That's my thing. Okay, so then, you heard you it can, here. You heard it here first, folks. Then you can hire me as the dean with a mat, with just a graduate, an undergraduate degree. But no, I think there's a there's a there's a need for journalists. I think, and I think there's a need for journalists who are well trained. And you know, I mean, I've seen it here. We've had some kids come in. Uh, one, uh, we had kid just left here. Came out of the Newhouse School at Syracuse. She was ready to play. Day day one. one, yeah. Day one, she was ready to go, both ethically, both 
technically, I mean, the kid, I can tell you as both a print journalist and now as a broadcast journalist, I can walk into a room, I can watch people work, and I can tell you who graduated from Grady School. I can t- I can look at them, and it, the Grady kids are such a cut above. And Newhouse is on that. I know same President level. Moorhead will be happy to hear that. Well, yeah, they are. Yeah. They, I mean, you know, as a working journalist, I can tell you when I'm working with somebody who's a Grady grad. Yeah. Well, we have had a interesting. We've almost got a full hour out of this one. I didn't think we'd go that long. Um, our get our guest has been Dr. John Fuchko. Uh, Dr. Fuchko is the interim president of Columbus State University, but I say interim with air with air quotes around it because he has moved in here and he is going to spend the next however many months uh you know would you say if you're in the role be in the role exactly well thank you for being here great guest great conversation great insight okay now let's go to where okay lewis new director lewis this is where chuck williams crashes the car every time on the podcast you can watch the chuck williams show on tuesdays from seven to eight on wrbl.com you know you can also get it on your traditional podcast formats, iHeart, Spotify, and Apple. Also, go to social media. You can catch me on Twitter, at Chuck Williams. On Facebook, Chuck Williams WRBL. And then on Instagram, Chuck Williams 0999. Again, we want to thank our guest, Dr. John Fuchko, Interim President of CSU. We hope you come back again next week. We'll have another show. <laughs>